The Bible's eighth book covers events that take place during the time of the judges, despite not mentioning any of them. It also appears to be a time of peace, as no wars or invasions feature in the story. The book offers a fascinating insight into Bronze Age farming methods, as well as inheritance rights, and, unusually for a book in the Bible, the character whose name it bears is not an Israelite. They are from Moab, a nation with a long history of hostility to Israel. What makes this character even more remarkable is that in an age and a Bible defined by patriarchal characters, Ruth is a woman. My name is Chaz Bayfield and this is Holy Bible Episode 61, Romance in the Fields. Welcome to Season 8 of the Holy Bible Podcast, where we're about to jump into the Book of Ruth, one of the Bible's most fairy tale stories. That's not to say it isn't true. As with many Old Testament stories, millions of Christians and Jews believe that they actually happened. Many sceptics are less certain. The bigger question is why the books were included and what they tell believers about God. Holy Bible doesn't attempt to prove or disprove any of the Bible. We're just setting the course of our tour bus to drive right through the middle of it, retelling the action, pointing out how it impacts on the culture, and offering explanations for some of the bits that still have question marks over them. And, full disclosure, Ruth's story does have some pretty big question marks. If you're new, I'm not a priest, nor am I a theologian. I'm an advertising creative director who is fascinated at how a book that has impacted Western culture so profoundly is still so undiscovered by so many non-religious people. This podcast is my attempt to right this wrong, one episode at a time. So, without further ado, let's exit Israel and cross the border to Moab, where a couple of Israelite migrants have settled and where their two sons have married local women. Ruth is a short read and the first of the Bible's books that is actually one complete story. No one knows who wrote the story down, but scholars believe it was put together during the time of King Solomon by a scribe at the palace. It's a complex book. Much of the drama centres around Ruth's mother-in-law, a woman called Naomi, and there do appear to be some unanswered questions about her own motives. Ruth is a book that can be read several ways. The most common is by Christians who see both Ruth and Naomi as utterly saintly. Yet these believers still have to confront a woman wearing her best clothes, snuggling up to an inebriated man sleeping off a feast in a field in the middle of the night. But enough plot spoilers, let's get stuck in. The action begins during a famine that is devastating Israel. Perhaps because the religious mood in the nation at the time is almost no different to that in any of the neighbouring countries, a Jewish man called Elimelech decides to try his luck in neighbouring Moab. Leaving his hometown of Bethlehem in Benjamite territory, he brings his wife Naomi and two sons with him to begin a new life in the east. It appears that soon after they arrive, Elimelech dies, and after his death, his sons marry two local women, Ruth and Orpah. 
On paper, it looks an unlikely start to one of the greatest stories in Jewish history. Ten years later, both of Naomi's sons die, and it is what happens next that makes Ruth the star of this particular story. News arrives in Moab that the famine in Israel is over, which means that there is now plenty of work available. With no one to support them now that their husbands have died, the three widows have few options and decide to head back west. In a moment of realisation, Naomi sees that she is being selfish. Her daughters-in-law would fare far better if they remained in their own country. Here, they can remarry rather than arrive in Israel as penniless refugees. Thanking them both for their kindness to her, she urges them to go back home. The women protest, but Naomi is insistent. She is not going to have any more sons, and even if she did, would her two daughters-in-law wait for them to grow up? God may be against her, she says, but that doesn't mean that they should suffer too. Finally, Orpah capitulates and heads back to Moab. Incidentally, US talk show host, actor and philanthropist Oprah Winfrey is actually named after Naomi's daughter-in-law, Orpah. When people struggled to say the name Orpah, they called her Oprah instead. Naomi pleads with Ruth to go home to her people and her gods, but Ruth remains immovable, speaking one of the most moving statements of faith in the Bible. Where you go, I will go, she tells her mother-in-law. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth asks God to deal with her severely if she ever breaks this promise, and, convinced that there is now no more arguing to be done, Naomi carries on to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law at her side. The women reach Bethlehem just in time for the barley harvest, giving them an opportunity to at least find some leftover grain in the fields. One of the many Old Testament laws laid out in the books of Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy are that harvesters are not allowed to pick every last bit of grain from the fields. The leftovers are for the poor, the widows, the fatherless and the foreigners who may be in desperate need of food. Naomi's arrival back in Bethlehem creates quite a stir. People still recognise her, but she asks them not to call her Naomi, which means pleasant, but Mara, which means bitter, blaming God for her misfortune. After all, she left town with a husband and sons and a promising future abroad, only to return widowed and destitute. There may also be a sense of shame. Israel's barley harvest is in full swing, which sets the date at just after Passover. It appears that Naomi hasn't been back to her homeland since she left, despite the law stating that every Jew must return to Jerusalem for the festivals of Passover, Tabernacles and Pentecost. It is on her home turf that Naomi proves herself to be a true power broker, and she has the only trump card, a wealthy relative called Boaz. Possibly realising that she is too old herself to snag Boaz, Naomi sees Ruth as her best bet. Young, fertile and attractive, Ruth is far more likely to turn the head of a rich farmer than her mother-in-law, and if things work out, Naomi knows that she too will benefit. Could this be why the place she chooses to settle is near land owned by Boaz? 
It's unclear whether Naomi knows that the fields that are being harvested belong to Boaz. All the Bible commits to is, quote, as it turns out, end quotes. There is no suggestion that Ruth knows any of this, and with the barley harvest underway, she sees an opportunity to at least find food. Aware of the law put in place centuries earlier to help widows like her, Ruth heads off to the fields to make her own luck. Gathering the leftovers is called gleaning, and though she doesn't realise it at the time, Ruth has chosen to pick grain in a field belonging to Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's dead husband. For the record, Boaz is the son of Rahab the prostitute, a contemporary of Joshua. Rahab is the woman whose brothel built into the walls of Jericho was used as a safe house for spies sent by Joshua to scout out the city, a story told in episode 52, The Whorehouse. To thank her for her help, Rahab and her family were spared destruction by Israel. Appearing to have not only integrated into Israel, but to have been rewarded by it, Rahab's son is now a wealthy farmer. The fact that Boaz is only one generation away from Joshua suggests that this story takes place relatively soon after the judges begin ruling Israel. When Boaz arrives in the field, he notices the new girl and asks one of his workers who she is. It is unclear whether he has had his head turned by her or because he hears she has a connection to Naomi, but he warns Ruth to only glean with the women. She must avoid the field where the men are working, he tells her, as he has forbidden them to touch her. Not only that, she is allowed to drink from the water provided for his workers, elevating her from the other gleaners. Ruth is overwhelmed at this generosity and wants to know why Boaz is being so kind to a foreigner like her. He explains that he has been touched by her kindness and loyalty to Naomi, especially her willingness to up sticks to a foreign country just to be with her mother-in-law. She has found refuge under God's wings, he tells her, and prays that her reward will be a good one. Ruth reiterates her gratitude. She sees herself as lower than a servant, yet Boaz appears to be treating her with genuine respect. Still, the kindness keeps coming. Boaz offers Ruth food and allows her to glean where the grain has already been bundled into sheaves and where there is more chance of loose pickings. He even allows her to take some of the stalks from the sheaves themselves, effectively giving away pre-harvested food. Ruth collects so much that when it is ground, she has around 30 pounds of flour, a staggering amount for a day's picking. Don't worry if your brain doesn't work in Imperial, I'll put the conversions in the show notes. Naomi is amazed at Ruth's haul and wants to know where she could possibly have gleaned in order to bring home this much food. When she hears the fields belong to Boaz, she tells Ruth that she is related to him and thanks God that this man hasn't forgotten Elimelech and is still so kind to his family. Possibly joining the dots, Naomi then sets in motion her determined plan to ensure both women's future security. As an added act of generosity, Boaz has invited Ruth to remain in the fields for the duration of the harvest, and Naomi agrees that she is wise to stick with the women. Safe from any harm and with rich pickings in the fields, Ruth continues to live with Naomi. 
They are still widows, which makes them almost completely statusless in Israel. But slowly, things are beginning to look up. The women's best option for survival is for Ruth to find a husband who can support them both. Fortunately, Naomi has a plan. In what seems an extraordinary ploy by today's standards, Naomi appears to pimp out her daughter-in-law to the woman's boss. She tells Ruth to wash, put on perfume and to wear her best clothes. Tonight is when they will be winnowing the barley, she says. This is when the grain is thrown into the air and the dry flakes of grass and dust are carried away on the wind, leaving just the grain. It's clearly a celebratory event as it marks the end of the harvest and Boaz will be there. According to Naomi's plans, Ruth mustn't let Boaz see her until he has finished eating and drinking. It's probable that the men sleep with their grain to make sure no one steals it. When Boaz lies down to sleep, Ruth is to take his cloak from his feet and lie down next to him. As courtship rituals go, it's an unusual one and is fraught with sexual tension. Following her mother-in-law's instructions to the letter, Ruth washes and adorns herself, puts on perfume and fine clothes and steps out into the night, halfway between a bride and a courtesan. The big question is, what happens? Readers are told that Ruth uncovers Boaz's feet and lies there. But lies where? At his feet or next to Boaz? It's not certain why Ruth uncovers the man's feet, but this might be so that they get cold, waking him naturally. Still, no one appears more surprised than Boaz when he discovers Ruth lying at his side in the middle of the night. It's dark and, clearly having never seen Ruth outside of her rough work clothes, he wants to know who she is. She tells him that she is his servant and asks him to spread his cloak over her, perhaps an act of ownership. This is not part of any Old Testament marriage ritual and it seems possible that Ruth simply needs to keep warm and wants to cuddle up to Boaz. Bible prudes may disagree but the evidence suggests that Ruth is offering herself up to the man who she wants to marry. As for Boaz, he has had a drink and now a gorgeous, fragrant young woman has laid down next to him. What is he to do? It seems improbable that he wouldn't take advantage of the situation. Was he virtuous and happy to wait until his rights to Ruth have been sorted out legally? Maybe. The Bible doesn't commit either way. But if Ruth's purpose was just to talk to Boaz, why dress up and lie next to him at night? And why wait until he is drunk? It feels like she is playing with fire, especially as there is no one to rescue her out in the fields if it all goes badly wrong. The did they, didn't they remains unanswered, but Ruth certainly appears open to the possibility that some kind of romantic liaison might happen. It's often as difficult to read the book of Ruth and apply a holy veneer as it is with the Song of Songs. Just as songs can be read as a metaphor for God's love for his church, Ruth can be seen as a noble young woman's brave marriage proposal to a wealthy man, made in order to provide for herself and her beloved mother-in-law. Then again, songs might equally be about two lovers lusting for one another, 
while Ruth's story might simply be a Machiavellian plan set in place by an older woman who has almost run out of options and who needs financial security at any cost. Despite Ruth coming to him in her hour of need, Boaz sees this as a kindness to him. He realises that the woman is not here to sleep with him for money. Boaz is what the Bible calls a kinsman or guardian redeemer, a family member who is obliged to help out another family member in distress. Boaz is flattered. As a young woman, Ruth could have easily turned her attention to one of the younger men, he says, adding that her reputation in Bethlehem is a glowing one. To his credit, Boaz commits to following through on finding the relative who has a better claim on Ruth than he does and who should have first refusal when it comes to marrying her. He tells Ruth to remain here with him for the night and promises to investigate further in the morning. It's no wonder that Ruth makes sure that she leaves before anyone else is up the next morning and that Boaz tells her to keep their rendezvous a secret. However the Bible dresses it up, none of the events in the field at night are mentioned anywhere else in the Bible as a legitimate part of Jewish courtship. Before Ruth leaves, Boaz fills her shawl with twice the barley she brought home last time so that she doesn't go back to Naomi empty-handed. Back in Bethlehem, Naomi tells her daughter-in-law to sit tight and wait. Boaz won't rest until everything has been sorted out, she says and they'll have an answer by the end of the day. All urgent matters in an Old Testament city are decided at the main entrance gate, and it is here that Boaz spots the man who has a better claim on Ruth than he does. He invites his relative to sit down and gathers together ten elders who between them govern the town of Bethlehem. He brings some new information that so far readers aren't party to. Naomi's husband owned land here, and she wants to sell it. As the land belonged originally to Elimelech, it then passed to his sons, one of whom married Ruth. Back then, women are seen as a man's property, just like land, and so Ruth comes as part of the estate. The relative has first refusal, and Boaz has brought the city rulers here to make sure that any land exchange is official. The man is keen to buy, when he learns that the land must come with Ruth attached to it so that her family name remains connected with it, he is suddenly less keen. A family's name is of great importance in ancient Israel. For a name to die out creates unspeakable shame, and during the allocation of tribal land in Israel after the conquest of Canaan, land was given to families in perpetuity. For her family name, or rather the family name of her deceased husband to continue, Ruth needs to be part of the land exchange. This is all a bit too problematic for the man who stands aside, leaving Boaz free to redeem the land himself. In another strange Israelite tradition, the men exchange sandals and Boaz announces before his ten witnesses that he has bought Naomi's land and with it, Ruth. Clearly pleased for him, the elders ask God to bless Boaz in the same way that Rachel and Leah provided Jacob with the twelve sons whose tribes populated Israel. They ask that he become famous in Bethlehem and that his family will be like Perez, the son of Judah, in whose territory they all live. 
As an older, relatively wealthy man, it seems unlikely that Boaz would be unmarried at the time that he meets Ruth. The Bible doesn't relay his marital status, but Ruth may be one of several wives. Ruth's story has an unexpected ending, with its heroine all but written out of it. She and Boaz marry, and Ruth gives birth to a baby boy called Obed. But it is Naomi who appears to raise the boy, and Naomi who receives the adulation of other women at the child's potential future. Naomi's friends are overjoyed at how well things have worked out for her. They add their hope that Boaz becomes famous throughout Israel for his act of kindness. As for Obed, they pray that the boy will rejuvenate Naomi and provide for her in her old age. He is the son of Ruth, they tell her, and that makes him better than seven sons. Rumour mongers believe that the big romance in this story is actually between Naomi and Boaz, and that the marriage with Ruth is one of convenience, which explains why it is Naomi and not Ruth who cares for the child. Possibly teasing her affectionately, the local women point out that Naomi now has a son. She may begin the story a destitute widow, but she ends it a wealthy woman, raising a baby boy like her own child. As if the elders' prayers at the gates of Bethlehem have been answered, the book of Ruth ends by telling readers that Obed becomes father to Jesse, whose son is David. As a side note, for it to mention David sets the writing of this story as sometime during Israel's monarchy, several centuries after it is supposed to have happened. There is also a slight continuity problem with the dates. If Boaz's mother Rahab was a contemporary of Joshua and the book of Judges spans over 400 years, David and his great-great-grandmother live almost half a millennium apart from one another. This is either an example of exceptional longevity or Jesse is simply a son of Obed in that he is a distant descendant of him. throws in a family tree that links Judah's son Perez to David, proving how Ruth becomes an ancestor of Israel's greatest king. Readers of the New Testament will know that a direct descendant of David, and therefore Boaz and Ruth, is none other than Jesus. It's a remarkable journey for a widow from Moab with no money and no plan, and is just one of many underdog stories in the Bible where the most unassuming people become legendary simply by doing the right thing. I should add here that many of the views about Ruth expressed in this podcast are my own, and most churches adopt a more virtuous reading of the book. Still, I'm as fascinated by what the Bible doesn't say as much as what it does. And for me, there are some blank spaces, a long dark night, and two bodies lying next to one another under a blanket. If you're religious, forgive my dirty mind, and please message me on contact at holybiable.com or search Holy Bible Podcast on Twitter or Facebook and give me your take on it. Holy Bible is written and produced by me, Chas Bayfield, with music by Michael Old and John Hawkins Music. Cover art is by Lisa Goff. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. 
better still, why not give us a five-star review wherever you're listening? Thank you. Thank you.